Time's getting near, isn't it? When Americans will be deciding on who will be the next president of the United States. Official voting is only nine days away. And this year, uh, many Americans have already gone to the polls. Maybe you have too. And cast their ballots not only for the president, but for many other federal, state, and local offices, as well as issues that will most probably affect all of us in some way. Now, I know that during this time of the year, there's a wide range of emotions that are often connected with our political process, especially when we are voting for a new president. There are some people who could just care less about voting, believing that their one vote doesn't really mean anything. In fact, I read what I thought was a disappointing statistic this week. Only about 50% of Americans who claim to be Christians are registered voters. I thought that was interesting. Then there are others who really get involved in the process. They believe that their candidate or candidates or their party is the best. And that others are either less competent, incompetent, or even demonic. Kind of reminds me of a story I heard some time ago about this city councilman. And he was running for city council. He was doing some door-to-door campaigning. Things were going pretty well, he thought, until he came to the house of this one man who was very grouchy. He gave his little speech about why he should vote for him. And the old man growled, vote for you? He said, I'd rather vote for the devil than vote for you. Well, at that point, the candidate realized that he didn't stand a chance of swaying the old man. So with a smile, he said, I understand that, sir. But in case your friend is not running, may I count on your support? I guess he got the last word in, but he didn't get his vote. (laughs) Now, there are others who just can't seem to talk about anything of a political nature without arguing about it. There were these two elderly gentlemen who were pretty good friends most of the year, but they always seemed to be arguing with one another during the election season. And one day, one of them was sitting on a park bench, and he was just reading a newspaper, the other elderly fellow sat down there beside him, not realizing who he was sitting next to. They looked at each other uh, for a moment, but did not speak. And then both men just kind of sat there, and they stared straight ahead. And finally, one of them kind of gave a great big sigh, just went, <sighs> like that. And the other one jumped up, and he said, if you're going to talk politics, I'm leaving. <laughs> you ever talk to somebody that was hard to talk to when the subject came around to politics? Well, I don't want anybody to leave this morning, so please understand, I'm just not talking politics today. I want to begin with this statement. My purpose in this message is not to issue an endorsement of any political party or a particular candidate running for office. If I did that, I might create a problem for our tax-exempt status, and that would have implications for our ministry as well as your contributions. But that does not mean that I don't have opinions and thoughts about candidates. But the pulpit is not the place to either endorse or denounce them. I'd be very willing to discuss my personal positions and beliefs on the candidates as well as the issues in another place and time in private conversation. I'm also well, well aware that there is a wide variety of opinion within the church regarding political, social, economic, and other issues, and that there is a serious danger of causing 
divisiveness if we discuss them on a wrong spirit and in a wrong way. Now having said that, I must also say that if you believe that a Christian should not be involved in the political arena, well that is just not a biblically based belief. As Christians, we have the privilege and we also have the responsibility to be informed and to be involved in the political process for it affects you, it affects your family, it affects this church, and it affects our nation. So though my purpose is not to promote one particular position as the Christian position, I do want to encourage all of us to think carefully and to think biblically about the candidates and the issues we will be voting on. And I think we should do this in any election, so that when we make our decisions, we can do so in all sincerity, integrity, and good conscience before the Lord. The title of the message is Decision 2008, Who Will Cast the Deciding Vote or Votes? I want to share with you three truths about voting that we need to be reminded of. And then we're going to end with a brief discussion about the most important deciding vote that we all have the privilege to make in any election. And then, because I couldn't get everything I believe God wanted me to say in just one sermon, next week we're going to take a biblical look at some qualities of a leader that I pray will help you in determining how to decide who to vote for. Richard's read a couple verses from 1 Timothy chapter 2 we're going to get to in a few minutes. I want to read just one verse from the book of Proverbs to get started. One verse, Proverbs 29.2, which says this. When the righteous increase, or some translations say, the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's our privilege to once again be able to come together in this place and to bring our praise and honor and worship to you. And Lord, I just pray each of us will never forget the wonderful freedom that we have because we live here in America to be able to do this. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray that we will use our freedoms in a responsible way, including the freedom we have to vote. So Father, as always, I need your help in presenting this message today in a way pleasing to you. And my prayer is it will be helpful, challenging, and encouraging to us as we consider uh, the election season and the fact that we're going to be voting here in just a few more days. Lord, your word does speak about this, and I pray that we will be enlightened by its truth, that you will challenge us today. We just thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Whenever we cast our votes in any election, we do so under the belief that we have the power, at least through our vote, to change things. And in this year's election, both presidential candidates are running on a platform of change. And it's easy to do when things don't look so bright, especially on the economic picture. But one thing we've always been reminded about in America is that our votes can be a little bit more important than we think. Back in 1984, the California Secretary of State compiled a list to try to encourage people to register to vote. And this was the list. In 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. In 1649, one vote 
caused Charles I of England to be executed. In 1776, now I don't know if you're aware of this, in 1776, one vote gave America the English language instead of German. Did you realize that? In 1845, one vote brought Texas into the Union. In 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. In 1876, one vote gave Rutherford B. Hayes the presidency of the United States. In 1933, one vote gave Adolf Hitler leadership of the Nazi Party. In 1960, one vote gave a change in one vote, that is, and each precinct in the state of Illinois would have given Richard Nixon the presidency and not JFK. And I would add that in 2004, one vote change in each precinct in the state of Ohio would have denied George W. Bush the Oval Office. The point I'm trying to make is that our votes make a difference. And we as Christians should honor this sacred privilege and vote at every opportunity. So here are three truths that we need to be reminded of about voting. Number one, you have been given the right to vote. You've been given the right to vote. You know, one of the things I appreciate about living in America, when our founding fathers came here from the shores of England, they believed that people should have a say in their government because they didn't. And so when they came here, they set up a republic. That means a government by law. And they wrote something called the Constitution. And then they formed what's known as a limited democracy where we all have the ability to have a say in government. So I like to refer to the United States as a democratic republic. The point being that voting is a privilege for Americans. Now I want you to think about something. There were so many Christians in many other eras and other times who did not have any right or any say in who ran the government and how the government operated where they lived. That was especially true in the first century. There are many Christians today in other parts of the world who do not have a say in who makes the decisions in their countries and how their country's governments function. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 33, 12. He said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance. I love that because we, we have a right to be able to decide that. Abraham Lincoln knew that verse very well. And he said this, he said, It is the duty of nations as well as of men, to owe their own independence upon the overruling power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proved by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. We have been born in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And we can keep it that way if we will use our right to vote. Again, we live in a democratic republic. That means you have a voice. You have a vote. Use it. Thousands before us have bled and died for the rights and freedoms we enjoy. And I believe with all my heart we are blessed because we're living in America. We're not struggling in Iraq and Afghanistan due to war and civil unrest. We don't live in Sudan where there's a lack of food. 
where 70,000 have already died of hunger and 1.5 million are living in refugee camps. We live in a land, as the saying goes, of baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. But even much more importantly than that, we live in a nation where we can freely worship our Lord. You have the right to vote. Take it and make it count for good. Will Rogers once said, when it comes to a showdown, Washington must never forget who rules the people. You have the opportunity to be heard through your vote, to elect those who embrace the things of God. So let's praise God today for that right to vote. Second truth about voting, not only do you have a right to vote, you have the responsibility to vote. Now, any time that you have freedom in any area of life, whether it's talking about freedom in a country, where it's talking about freedom from sin, whenever you have freedom, there becomes a responsibility placed upon the free if that freedom is to remain. That's true in any realm of life. Jesus once said this in his Sermon on the Mount. The passage is in your outline. We're not going to read it. But he said, you are to be salt and light in the world in which we live. That's what we're to be, salt and light. All that means is that we are to have an influence in our world for Jesus. I think we'd all agree with that. And one way in which we can do that is through voting. We can have an influence in our world to who we vote on to lead our nation. Romans chapter 13 is probably the one passage there, those first seven verses that speak about government, its role, and our role to govern, our responsibility to govern. Verse 1 says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now, sometimes that isn't easy, but that's what Paul said. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, if you just let that sink in for a moment, if we are to be in subjection to the governing authorities, in America, we have input into who our governing authorities will be. And knowing this to be true, what a great responsibility to have. As citizens of this great nation, and more importantly, as a child of God, we have the responsibility to get involved. And that involvement can make a difference. That involvement means we can have an impact. We can bring about change that is godly and good. Now I know, and maybe some of you believe this, I know that there is this belief that Christianity and politics should not mix. You don't find that from the Bible. Do you know that there are plenty of examples in Scripture where God's people got involved in politics? There's a few examples in your outline. We're not going to talk about them too much, but... In Genesis, Pharaoh gave Joseph political control of all of Egypt. In Exodus, Moses was God's ambassador asking for the freedom of God's people. Samuel was the prophet and judge who chose Saul as Israel's king. We know that Esther, as the queen, saved the whole Jewish nation from execution. Daniel served in the king's court, obeying God when it wasn't politically correct to do so. The great thing about living here in America is that we can, if we feel led by God, get involved in the political process one way by running for office. And I appreciate Christians who feel that call from God to do that. 
But there are only a few who do that. What is even more important is that all of us can use our right and our responsibility to vote. One more truth about voting. Not only do you have a right, not only do you have the responsibility, you have a reason to vote. You have a reason. We get to choose who rules. We get to choose that. Now, why is this important? Well, let's go back to that text in Proverbs 29.2 again. That says, when the righteous increase, or the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. Now, here's what we need to understand. Regardless of where we live in the world, whether we're living in America or living somewhere else, every Christian lives under what might be called a theocracy. And all that means is, God is in control. He is the divine authority. We answer to God first and foremost wherever we live in the world. It's all about His agenda. It is not about our agenda. So the reason we vote then is to bring about an atmosphere and an environment in our nation that honors God and draws us closer to Him. Now here is the problem as I see it today in America. The mindset seems to be, and this is true sometimes even in the church, I'll vote for the one who helps me. I'll vote for the one who honors me. I'll vote for the one who helps me get the things I need in life. That is not the reason to vote. It's not about me. It's all about him. So we vote to bring honor and glory to God. Therefore, we should seek to elect those whose beliefs, morals, and values best line up with the word of God. Because it's not about party. It's not about personality. It's not even about promises. It's all about character and integrity, truthfulness, and uprightness. And we're going to talk about that next week. As Christians living in America, because we have a democratic republic, we have a say, we have a vote in government. We have the right, we have the responsibility, and we have the reason to vote. But the big question is, how do we go about doing it? Well, as I said, we'll talk about how to vote for candidates next week. But as far as the issues that the candidates talk about, normally there is some biblical principle that will help us determine whether or not what they're saying, whether or not an issue would be a good thing for our nation or a bad thing for our nation. Now, one of the things that I've done today, you have a voter guide in your bulletin, which simply lists 14 issues that our presidential candidates have their positions on. And you can just look at that for yourself. On the table is a more complete uh, presidential issue uh, thing back there, and it's just a voter guide where they were asked questions, and on the back sheet of each one, there's one for McCain, one for Obama, and on the back they have verification where you can go online and look and see what their positions are. You don't have to wonder about it. That's one good thing about a presidential candidate. To me, that's pretty easy to decide because their voting record is out there. It's for the public. Most of them have been around for a while. So their, their voting record is easy to see. Their positions are pretty easy to see. A little bit harder on a local level, but on the national level, it's a little bit easier, in, in my opinion, 
to be able to determine what they believe about certain issues. So you have that available today. One of the things I wanted to mention just briefly has to do with taxes. We know what the Bible says. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, to God the things that are God. That question was specifically answered because he was asked about taxes, whether they should pay the tax that Caesar had given to them to pay. And basically Jesus said, yeah, you pay it. So when it comes to taxes, what I try to do is determine what the reason for the tax, if I'm going to support it or not. Does it follow along with biblical principle relative to what the government should be doing? And that's a whole other series of sermons in itself, the role of government according to what God says in the Bible. But in other words, when you talk about issues you don't know how to vote for, one of the things you should ask is what's it going to be used for? If there's going to be taxation, what's the tax going to be used for? Is it going to be used in a way that God said government should use it? So that's one way in which you try to decide that. We'll talk a little bit more about candidates next week. There's one more point that I want to make today, and I believe it's the most important point of this sermon. It's this. The deciding vote or votes in any election is not the one we make in the privacy of the ballot box. It's the vote we make in the privacy of our prayer closets. Now I want to say that one more time. The deciding vote or votes in any election is not the one we make in the privacy of the ballot box. It is the vote we make in the privacy of our prayer closets. Now please bear with me for just a few minutes as I share why this is important. You see, when we Christians vote, there are times that we often do so under the mistaken belief that that candidate we're voting on or that party that we're voting for has the power within themselves to change the course of our city, state, or nation. And that's just not true. Not within themselves. Some of our best politicians have recognized this. Now here's what I'm talking about. Benjamin Franklin, many years ago, at the Continental Congress, he stood up. They were having trouble making a decision. Ben Franklin stood up. This is what he said. Now, I, in his eloquence, I mean, Ben Franklin was so eloquent, but I just want to quote what he said. He said this. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarcely able to distinguish it when it is presented to us, how has it happened that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings? Let me break that down. Ben says, we're having a tough time making this decision, men. Why in the world have we not asked God for his help yet? That's what he said. In 1984, Ronald Reagan said this. Without God, there is a coarsening of our society. Without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, we will be one nation gone under. If we ever forget. Sometimes even as Christians... We forget God's power over our nation. We forget the power that prayer has in directing our nation. We forget if we put more faith in politicians than we do in God. The Old Testament has an interesting story in 1 Samuel about Israel's experience with what might be described as an uneasy political situation. 
Now, they had many enemies in that day. Samuel was the leader. He was the prophet. But he was getting old, and his sons weren't very good. They were corrupt and selfish. So the people looked the situation over, and they came to the conclusion that they needed a king. Every other nation had a king, and they wanted one. They thought that having a king would bring them strength. They would be on equal footing with other nations. But in reality, Israel was simply being unfaithful in waiting on God to supply their needs in his time. They wanted what they wanted right now. And because of this, they had not bothered to approach God and ask for his leading in this issue. They simply held a vote and decided they wanted a king. God later told Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. See, their problem was they had put their faith in an earthly politician, and they had taken their eyes off of God. They mistakenly believed that their candidate they had chosen would supply for them something they felt God could not supply, safety, power, and financial security. You see, it's a very dangerous mistake to put more faith in politics and politicians and political parties than we do in God. An easy trap to fall into. If you're struggling about how you're going to vote, the first thing you need to do is ask God for his help. How do we know if we rely more on politicians than on God? We talked a little bit earlier in this message. You've been around people and know people that can't even get involved in discussions about politics unless they're in an argument. I even know some people has actually gotten into fights over some political issue or candidate. I read a story about one guy. He lived in a small town. He'd been a staunch Republican his entire life. He was 90 years old. His health began to fail, so he went to the doctor. Doctor says, George, I'm very sorry to tell you this, but as far as your state of health is concerned, I don't think you're going to last the year. Next morning, the old man asked his son to take him down to the courthouse so he could change his registration from Republican to Democrat. But Dad, the son protested, you started this town's Republican Party. You attended every function. Why would you want to become a Democrat? And the old man replied, Son, if someone has to die, it might as well be one of them. <laughs> some people get all fired up about politics. And they do some stupid things. So if you find yourself getting all worked up about politics to the point that you're being argumentative about it, Maybe that's a sign that your faith is less in God than it is in politics. Paul gives us a pretty good thing to watch for in our text in 1 Timothy 2. Now I want to go to the end of this passage to start with. Verse 8 says this. Paul says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. Now why did he say that? Well, we need to go back for a moment. Because Paul here was describing to Timothy a method that we can use to correct any anger or dissension when the topic of politics come up. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 2. Richard read this. He said, First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers 
petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil, excuse me, tranquil or peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Do you know who was in power in Rome when Paul wrote this? Nero. Nero was not a friend of Christianity. In fact, Nero was an enemy of Christianity. And Paul said, we need to pray for these leaders. We need to pray for the kings and all those in authority. And so I encourage you to pray for all the politicians, even the ones you don't like and the ones you did not vote for. Pray especially for the ones you don't like and the ones you did not vote for. Gerald Flurry has written the single most important action contributing to whatever health and strength there is in our land is prayer. And I believe with all my heart that the vote you make on your knees has the power no ballot box can equal. And here's why that's true. There's a tremendous verse in Proverbs 21, verse 1. And it says this. The king's heart, now you can substitute in our day, the mayor's heart, the governor's heart, the president's heart, is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You see what he's saying here? God has the power to direct the decisions of our leaders, even the bad ones. And when we pray... That power of God is unleashed. And so that means then that we should pray for the success of whoever is in leadership. Regardless of who it is. Jeremiah spoke to a nation in captivity and bondage. In Jeremiah chapter 29 beginning in verse 4 he says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Remember, they had been captured. They had been taken from their lands. They were now in Babylon. They weren't being friendly to the people of God. This is what the Lord said through Jeremiah. Build houses, live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. In other words, keep living your life. And then he said this, Seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Jeremiah told the people of Israel, Yeah, you're living in Babylon. And no, they're not very pleasant. And no, they're not Christians, if we could use that term today. But you pray for them anyway. Because if they're going to be prosperous, you will be prosperous. We have the right to vote. And when all is said and done, if your man or your woman or your party doesn't win, then you still have a responsibility to, to pray and support those who do win. Pray that the decision of our leaders will lead in such a way that we can reach more and more people with the message of Christ's love. You see, that was the major thrust of why Paul said what he did in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, I've already read verses 1 and 2, but I want to look at verses 3 and 4. Once you pray for your leaders, 
He said, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So evidently there's a connection between praying for our leaders and being able to see more people come to be saved and to the knowledge of the truth. Well, I've gone on long enough today. I need to bring this to a close. I want to share a story that I read. Dr. James Dobson focused on the family. I read it some time ago. It's a true story. I love these true stories. Happened back during World War II. It was May 1940. There was a half million British and French soldiers huddled hopelessly at Dunkirk. They were simply waiting for their inevitable death or imprisonment at the hands of the Nazi war machine. They had no supplies. They had no way to get them supplies. It was at that desperate moment that the churches of Britain called for a national day of prayer. On May 23rd, 1940, numerous political leaders, newspaper editors, even King George VI, issued a call for a national day of prayer to be held on Sunday, May 26th. Just 24 hours after the call, Adolf Hitler, inexplicably, and no one knows why, ordered his armies to halt. To the surprise, and later we would find out, the dismay of his own generals. A few days later, on May 26, the nation gathered to pray. Church attendance skyrocketed. There was a large gathering at Westminster Abbey. People pleaded with God to spare their husbands and fathers and sons at Dunkirk. Former Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain even wrote in his diary, May 26, blackest day of all. Or so he thought. In reality, it turned out to be one of the most dramatic turning points of the war. At 7 o'clock that night, a critical order was issued to attempt a desperate evacuation at Dunkirk. Every tiny vessel and private craft was sent across the waters of the English Channel with orders to rescue as many men as possible until the Germans got there. Hitler's armies remained in place, not only on the 24th, 25th, and 26th of May, all the way into early June. To this day, historians claim that no one knows exactly why the Fuhrer held victory in the palm of his hand, yet prevented his combat troops from finishing the job. But those who prayed that day in Britain and in France have a valid explanation. Hitler's armies were halted by the same God who stopped the mouths of the lions during Daniel's night of peril. I believe he was listening when hundreds of thousands of believers in the United Kingdom were praying for divine intervention. For nine critical days, the Germans stopped and did not advance. Meanwhile, large numbers of Allied soldiers were scrambling aboard those little boats and yachts, and in a four-day period, 336,000 men found their way to safety in the British Isles. Why? Because people prayed and God listened, and God responded. As we approach November 4th, Election Day 2008, the name-calling, the backbiting will probably get worse. The accusations will only intensify. The promises will only get bigger. So how does one navigate through all that rhetoric? It's really simple. Remember whose you are. You are a child of God. You have been given a right, 
a responsibility and a reason to vote in such a way that it honors God and enlarges the kingdom. And more importantly than that, please remember to pray because that is the greatest vote that you have as it relates to changing the course of our nation. Pray for those in positions of authority who make decisions and judgments on our behalf. Pray. And God will hear, and I believe, God will answer. The praise team is going to come. We're going to sing an invitation song. I want to end with this. There's already one decision that's been made. It's the greatest decision that's ever been made. God chose you. God chose you, and he chose me. And we know he did because he made a decision to send Jesus Christ, his only son, to a cross to die. He chose you to have an opportunity to receive everlasting life. Have you chose him? Oh, we talk about politics and the election. It is important that we do what we've talked about today. But the greatest decision you'll ever make is whether or not you serve Jesus as Lord. And I hope that you've made that choice because God chose you. He chose all of us. And given us an opportunity for everlasting life. I pray that as we stand together and sing this song that you already know that and you've already made that decision. But if not, that's why we sing. The invitation is still open until Jesus returns for you to come and give your life to the Lord.